welcome to Women and Music. I'm your host, Alexa Ace, and today's guest is Emily Haynes, lead singer of Metric and dare I say, my ultimate muse. Emily has been one of the biggest inspirations the majority of my life. One time in 2012, I snuck backstage with Passion Pit at a small festival in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and ended up standing side stage next to her while also watching Silver Sun pickups. I was like 17. I remember in that moment thinking, holy shit, how did I end up here? Now, a decade later, I'm thinking, holy shit, did that really just happen? Emily Haynes is a lead singer, keyboardist, and songwriter of the band Metric, as well as a member of the broken social scene and Emily Haynes and the Soft Skeleton. Emily has risen to success through a fiercely committed dedication to her artistry. Metric, for example, was the first band ever to have a U.S. Top 20 commercial radio hit without the backing of a label. They also went on to win Best Alternative Album of the Year at the 2010 and 2013 Juno Awards. Eight albums, 20 years. Emily does not need a further introduction. She's Emily fucking Haynes. Side note before we get started, let me first recognize that I was a bit nervous for this one. Um, for example, I asked Emily if she's a fan of the Velvet Underground, even though I stayed up the night before reading all about it. Um, so that opened the dialogue to one of the best gold moments I've ever, ever heard. In this conversation, you'll hear Emily Haynes speak on her super special gold moment with Lou Reed, the relevance of time from Emily's perspective, writing Metric's new album, Formentera, and just exactly how Doom scrolling is the unfortunate reality between us all, but also a gorgeous 10-minute single and track on the new record. It is time to listen to more women and music. Thank you. Before we get started, I just want to thank you. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you. This interview means so much to me, and just the fact that we are here right now makes my day, makes my month, makes my week. Well, that's a nice way to start. Thank you. This is so cool. I was like, I looking at my insane press schedule, <laughs> like leading up to the record and I saw what you're doing. I'm so intrigued and think it's really cool. Like, I love that you, one of the things that you were saying about how, like, uh, understanding that as a woman in music, that doesn't always mean that you're the singer. And it seems like such an obvious thing. And obviously in my case, I am. Um, but I do so much else. Um, you know, I'm a little CEO over here and that's, and there are so many roles and and areas where I'd love to see more women in the industry. So I'm, I just love that you're touching on that. So thank hi. you so much. Hi, <laughs> thank you. Exactly. And, and honestly, too, I've, I've actually spoken to a lot of, you know, lead singers that do wear most of the hats. And um, I actually was you know doing my research and I saw an interview of you saying, you know, you do a lot of your admin. And I'm like, that's exactly what it's about. It's like, you don't realize, like if I were 12, I would love to know about more positions in the industry that were accessible to women or even just knowing about PR, just knowing about um, tour management, all these behind the scenes things that you don't think about that go into the everyday life of music. Yeah. And that if you're, if you're kind of like a team player, like I am, I mean, that's my whole motivation is our little um, army over here, the way that we do things are like a super, um, you know, we're driven by this like ethical sort of standard and this vision that we have that's pretty unrealistic, but also seems to have worked for over 20 years. So I'm really, you know, chuffed, but, uh, but it, but it's like realizing so much of the process is just, um, getting your head around that. If you can, if you can manage those other parts of, of the, business, if you can at least even understand how they work and surround yourself with capable people, it, it absolutely transforms your ability to succeed in the thing that you perhaps care the most about, which is the creative. But, you know, like our, when you say tour managers, like I honestly, I like flash weep of how much we appreciate David who works with us. He's, I mean, it's transformational having this guy as part of our life and, you know, um, our front of house, uh, lighting is this woman, Megan, who's just like beyond, she's so good. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right that it's like broaden your sense of 
what a life in music can look like. And that if you have those other skills, it can really free you from some of the nastier contracts too, where you're too dependent. Oh, you know? Yes, I am right there. Actually, I am a new artist myself. So um, I've kind of been in the industry side of it the last seven years. I'm 27 and um, I've worked for independent record labels like Bella Union or Rough Trade. And so I've really gotten to see a lot of, just like I said, a lot of artists wear a lot of different hats. And my main demographic is actually um, women, um, between ages 18 and 24 that are really looking to um, follow their passions. And so I think that so far, at least the feedback I've had from the last two seasons, um, we've actually helped like with scholarships and partnering with schools to help bring more opportunity for women or just to open their eyes um, or those who identify as women or trans or, you know, really just any minority and to get them fueled by passion. I notice a lot of people love to ask you, what are you listening to right now? And I think that says a lot about, again, your influence on musicians or even on the industry. So give me some artists that are on repeat or songs that are on repeat for you right now. Um, okay. Always. I do. I'm not going to surprise you with the fact that I have um, a unique way of answering some questions probably. Um, but so I really insist upon listening to a really diverse um styles of music. I really don't listen to one thing. And a lot of times the closer it sounds to metric, the less likely I'm going to listen to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I seek, um, like a feeling more than a sound, if that Absolutely. makes any sense. So I'll, I don't, I can't really explain it when I, when something clicks with me, um, it's, it's not because it's like, oh, that's, you know, supposedly like the genre that I'm supposed to be in, because that's really been a, a big mission for us from the beginning is like, you know, it kind of feels like in the cafeteria table where they're like jocks sit over there and the punks sit over there. And, you know, it's like the nerds sit over there. It's like, we're all three of those things. <laughs> we're jock punk nerds. Um, and so similarly, we listen to all kinds of music, the whole band does. Um, so I have one playlist that's called fireside chats that is 23 hours long. Hey, uh, <laughs> I love that. And, right. That's like all just songwriters. Um, you know, it's very, it's very mellow. It's mostly acoustic instruments. You know, it's like a lot of, you won't be surprised to hear like Neil Young um, and then some other, I would actually love to, after our conversation, just like shoot you over like a whole list of a whole bunch of people, um, of, and a lot of times, and partly why I really like Spotify is like, I really do find it works. I, I discover a lot of new music, um, that way and just add, you know, add it in. So that's one playlist is 23 hours. And then I have another one. So the other one is called every moment I am which is lots of electronic minimalist stuff. Um, so like John Hopkins, the field, uh, that kind of realm. Um, and then every now and then um, there will be a new artist or something that just pops in that I just love, like Nilla Yanya. I don't know if you've heard her stuff. Um, there's a song called Stabilize. I'm going to stabilize. If I... It's like, oh man, I just, I heard that on the radio, but on like some random station, like it, I don't know if it's getting played a lot. Um, but I, but I heard it and it was like revelatory. Um, I actually was hoping to have her come on tour with us, but happily she's busy. So that, that makes me happy for her. Um, I also think like, uh, 070 shake is just oh my like, God. yes, I just feel everything. Um, and I actually found her because a friend, longtime friend, uh, is now working with her. So he was like, check out this beautiful person. And I just love it. And actually on that Kanye record, that was whatever that one, what was it? Um, feels like it's so many million years ago, anything before the pandemic is like, feels like it's like the 1800s. Yeah. Um, was it yay? Um, which, what's uh, maybe it was, well, how I, it's hard for you to answer the question because I'm not even telling you what I'm asking you, but like, anyway, she has a cameo on one song on that record. And I remember being like, not feeling much for the whole record, but that moment of her. So anyway, I think she's um, doing amazing stuff, but I'm, I'm hesitant to call out like just a couple names because then I just, it's like a list of so many. So I, I'm actually going to, 
I'm going to okay. email you after. Deal, deal. And I love that too. Um, I completely relate, honestly. Like I said, as a new artist, um, straight up going to be honest, I'm making like total pop music. But for me, um, that's like, that's how I feel free. But um, like the music I listen to is, is, you know, very metric or at the same time, very like Dave Matthews band, like completely opposite from the sounds that my soul decides to create. So I think it's important, honestly, like you said, just to bring in like as many different singer songwriters and just kind of like let yourself vibe and and um I feel like you get more of like an authentic sound when you don't just go listen to the same genre over and over but who knows yeah or feel regiment feel regimented by it it's like you know I, for me it's just more like a bullshit detector um you know like I don't I can't explain why some things that might like, I've heard plenty of things where it's just someone with acoustic guitar, where it's, you'd think that that would be like authenticity, but I've heard it sound like, I'm like, I don't believe a word you're saying. I don't feel anything. This is totally manipulative and not honest, you know, like for me, like, so it isn't the genre doesn't dictate the genuineness or the, or the authenticity or make me want to listen to it. And I, you know, I've heard like, Oh my God, like I listened to this turnstile track um, prime example where it's like, you might not think that would be my thing, but it is. Cause I'm like, these guys, they mean yeah. it, you know, I actually saw that you were listening to, you mentioned at one point, like Toki monster, like she, Oh yeah. Like, yeah. I love her stuff. Yeah. I, I love just the diversity. I, I think it's, I think it's super important. And I think too, with Spotify, even though being the example, there's a lot of, um, I just talked about this actually on another episode. There's a lot of like, um, genre bending nowadays and it's fucking awesome um i love just getting to hear new sounds or even these like experimental like like three or four piece songs um that you that are not in like any sort of like typical structure well you so do you like doom scroller oh. i mean we basically went through four genres in one song oh don't get me started <laughs> i have that as a question because i need to know everything absolutely where were you mentally when writing formentera uh well we were mentally and physically pretty claustrophobic. It was, um, in, you know, second year of uh, wedding Canada was a pretty extreme lockdown. Um, we in, you know, snow up to your ears kind of thing. Uh, I love my country, but I'm used to being able to leave. And I'm also someone who, you know, as you said, what you experience with anxiety, um, something that has been really challenging for me my whole life. And I did feel that it kind of hit pretty unsustainable levels during the pandemic. I know a lot of people felt that, um, you know, the powerlessness, the, the concern, the despair for other people, the fact that you can't do anything for them, the fact that you, you know, I mean, why am I even listing this? You know, exactly. Everyone listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. But so we were really um, in a place where, we had to, as always, you know, making a record, we really delve. But in this case, it was like, we have to believe that there's something on the other side. Um, I think someone like you would totally understand what it's like for people in the music industry, but I don't think everyone really grasps like how completely life-destroying that was for so many people. It's like not just the touring artists, but all the businesses that are associated with touring that, you know, all the restaurants, all the spots around the venues, everyone who works at the venues, all the touring crew, um, and, you know, let alone all the music fans who really rely on music, I think for their mental health. Um, so we were really like, is it going to come back when it comes back? What's it going to look like? So that was really mentally where we were at was like, we're just going to make the music for or the other side when we're on the other side of this. And um, the way, the way the music is, uh, the way the sequence, the album is sequenced is very much to sort of like take you, you know, you start out in a place of real, um, anxiety and, um, you know, sort of spinning thoughts and, um, you know, a really, uh, unsustainable level of, of agitation. And, you know, so you've got, the songs that we've released so far, you know, Doom Scroller obviously all comes crashing is like when it's, you know, looking at the end, like end of days banger. So we call that one. And then what feels like eternity is like, you know, grinding along. Um, and then the next song on the album is Formentera, which is like 
the moment where all of that releases into some place of like peace. So the idea of creating a place in your mind that you can escape to, that you can, that you can um, sort of accept how little control you have over everything. And, you know, even if you can't physically go to a utopian, beautiful, pristine Island, maybe you have that mental capacity or that emotional capacity to get there. So we were, we're just like, we're going to make everyone feel amazing. That was our, that was our MO. So I'm really hoping that we achieve that. I mean, so far, absolutely. I, I love what you just said. And in fact, it kind of reminded me of, um, are you a Velvet Underground fan? Oh, come on. You know, uh, I, don't, I shouldn't, I'm, I shouldn't assume that you know about my time with Lou, with Lou Reed, but you. Um, yes. So yeah, that's, yeah, but why? What makes you well, mention that? So I was thinking about the song Heroin. And, you know, you said that at the beginning of the album, it kind of starts with anxiety. I feel like there's, it's like in the song Heroin, it's kind of like the opposite where it's like, you know, you kind of go through this this experience of like ups and downs um, where you feel the anxiety, but you also are able to, um, at least in that song for me, um, able to um, still be human and understand your experiences. Um, however, in that song, obviously there's not that much optimism. But um, I love to hear that, you know, um, you saying even all comes crashing like that's a song I really want to know about because um, it does kind of feel like sometimes the world's going to end. <laughs> I mean, it totally feels like that. And especially during the pandemic. And it's like, what do you do during those experiences except for love and look at you know everything around you with gratitude and only hope that it can get better, even though that anxiety is obviously probably eating at you. Yeah. Can you relate to that? Well, yeah. And especially with all comes crashing, like my whole thing with that was that it's not about conventional relationships. Like I think everyone figured out pretty quickly when everything started going bananas, like who your people were, you know, and a lot of people fell in love. A lot of people got divorced. A lot of friendships like doubled down or they just disappeared. Like those people in your life that are flaky, you know, they kind of flaked off. And, uh, I don't know, I don't know if flaking off is a thing, but now it is. That's what happened. So might as well. Yeah. So, uh, I really like the idea that it's like, you know, for some people it's, it is their band or it's their like brother or their little sister or like their own kid, or, you know, people who are in non-conventional relationships or have like a different definition of family than like the perfect, like beaver cleaver situation, you know, like, um, that idea of like, you look, you look up you know, and like you picture it, like I visualize like the worst possible thing, which we feel this threat of nuclear war now with everything with Russia and Ukraine. Um, so sad and confusing and the imagining that you look up and you see that is upon you and you look around you and who's beside you, you know, and the idea that you'd be like, well, I'm with my people, like who I love. Um, so we just actually found out today that that song uh, went to number one at rock radio in Canada. So Woo! Uh, yes! yeah, <laughs> I, I might've played it a million times or two. Not going to lie. Appreciate that. I'm so happy because it seems like it's doing the thing of like making people feel it's like, I don't know why, even though it's so dark, I feel like it's soothing. I don't totally know why. I hope that's what you get yeah, too. Yeah, it is. So, so I've honestly truly found a lot of comfort in All Comes Crashing. And in fact, I mean, I'm not going to lie. So far out of the singles, my favorite is actually Doom Scroller, which I would love, like I said, to know more about. But I do think that All Comes Crashing is so relatable in an unconventional way because mm -hmm. you're stating what everyone is feeling. But again, with this... Um, with with hope it's what because you're because love because mm -hmm. if you love i mean you know the world could end tomorrow but look at who's next to you and let's hold their hand and hope for the best exactly what is a doom scroller and how do you relate <laughs> well oh man i mean a doom scroller is me i think there are lots of different ways to do it um they're all bad and uh i think I think part of what a lot of us are experiencing right now is like this sense of like other times in my life, I felt as though I was trying to get information, like, get or there was the idea of like raising awareness, like we're, you know, trying to get tuned into what's happening. And then now, and I'm only speaking for myself, but I just, I feel like, oh, my awareness is raised. Um, that's not a problem. 
In fact, it feels as though now I know everything possibly wrong and in direct proportion to how much more I know about is how little I can do about most of it. So the hopelessness and the sense of like not being a useful person at all for anyone is, is like matching the amount of suffering and, and despair and, and like, you know, just concern for the experience of other human beings, for the planet, for every creature, like on this earth. I mean, what, how much can you take in with having no real recourse to do anything about it? So, um, you know, the journey of the song doom scroller, like the kind of emotional ride is, is really coming to terms with like, for me very personally, I was like, this is, I've, reach the threshold where I'm actually not functioning and you know, the lyric, right. Like the lyric, you know, until it's, you know, until the worst is over, I can't, you know, put it down till the worst is over and it's never over. It's like, you know, just one more comment from someone, just one more update. Um, you know, it's, it's, as we know, endless and we're obviously being manipulated. Um, you know, it's a money game for eyeballs and attention and it's a really complex time that we're living in. And I just, I never thought I would be someone who was like, I got to shut it off. Um, because I always felt like that's, you know, the antithesis of being an educated person who's engaged in society and participating and, you know, cares, but I think the reality of the world that we live in as it is now is like, at least for me, I, I, I'm absolutely incapacitated if I go, if I doom scroll that hard as I was. And I think people do it on socials. They do it on, you can, it can be on news. It can be on like everyone's comments. It can be on like following in awe at like, you know, racist, sexist, horrific, like stunning lack of humanity, um, you know, anonymously delivered. So, um, so that song really, you know, when you take the ride, it's like you, you, I feel sonically that you can, you can feel it. Like it sounds like doom scrolling when you're like, you can't look away. And then the, the piano section is, you know, really advocating for, you know, my, I'm just trying to share like my solution for myself for like crippling anxiety was, um, this idea of like, you know, the lyrics, like take something for the pain, not something to conceal it more like a magnification mirror. So, so you're, you're not like taking, you're not like medicating away from, you're not dissociating away from the feeling you're actually med. You're like, take something for the pain that, that blows it up. So you can take a look at it. You can face it you can address it and you can separate it from your like physiology and fun and function. Um, so yeah. So I'm so glad that it clicked with you. Cause I, you know, as much as like for people who are really attuned to lyrics, like, you know, I walk you through it, but I think just even musically, you can feel that like euphoria at the end. It's like, I made it out of the maze. Like, I left the, I left the trolls behind, you know, but also it's like, I, I completely just, again, I completely relate because how do you not internalize the second you pick up your phone? It is just, it's in your face. It's, you can't escape it. And so, I mean, I mean, completely, I feel like doom scroller is that journey through the awareness of this is happening to me. There's constant bad media in my face, but that helplessness aspect, you know, if you are an empath, like I think at all, you want to pick up your phone or you're addicted to picking up your phone or, or your computer or whatever to kind of relax or kind of update yourself. But it's just endless and, and doom scroller in some ways, I think, again, from my, from my perspective is like, not that it's endless, but like I said, it's such a journey of, wow, I can't believe media is actually at this point where we can see everything happening in the world, but what do we do and, and how, yeah, how do yeah. we engage? Well, it's fascinating too, like from a biological perspective is like um, grasping that our bodies are like, you know, we, we emit these like hormones and chemicals and serotonin endorphins, like all this stuff. Right. 
And that's what I noticed is I'm like, I'm putting myself through like, you know, I mean, it's funny you referenced the song heroin, but I might as well be injecting myself with like adrenaline, mm. right? Like I can feel it. And you like, it's so bad for your health, your physical health. And it doesn't change anything, right? Like me, you know, in a beautiful setting in the woods with fresh air and fresh water, my incredible good fortune through the pandemic, sitting there, like basically, you know, shredding my nervous system and like exhausting my adrenal glands, like, you know, because I can't, because I can't find any way to separate my physical response. Cause it's, you know, we're programmed, you know, it's like fight or flight, but there's no, it's not a tiger, right? It's like, what even is it? It's a, it's like an invasion of a completely different kind. That's it. Um, Invasive. That is it. On that note, what types of media do you consume and do you find yourself, I mean, obviously sensitive to what and how you consume? Yeah. I mean, I'm a big reader. So I, I try to keep physical books in my life. It's really funny. My boyfriend is like all about the podcasts and um, all about the audiobooks. He's like Mr. 1.75. Um, I, you know, I read with my eyes with a thing I hold in my hands. And I actually have a really, um, deep relationship with certain bookstores around the world. I really miss that from not being able to travel or tour of just that amazing feeling of being in a place and just having no idea what I'll find, but discovering a book and like, um, this one that I got last time I was in New York, this Oliver Berkman, um, 4,000 weeks, um, current to complete obsession, which kind of sounds, it actually really helped me on this tip of like the doom scroller revelation of, I can't sustain this, um, way of functioning, but his whole premise on that book, it sounds dark to say it, but he's like, that's a lifetime is 4,000 weeks. It's not a lot. So, so if you want to actually be all these things, the first step is to understand how much of it you just absolutely will not do and stop like circling and spiraling in that helplessness of feeling completely ineffectual and find what is reasonably possible for you in your incredibly fleeting lifetime and your incredible insignificance on in the scope of the universe. And I totally get for someone else that they might not, that might be depressing for them. For me, that was like total breakthrough. And I, then I felt like I could really center into like, you know what? I do have a purpose. I'm useful to people. I'm useful to you writing my songs, hanging out, talking about stuff, making music, playing concerts. I can do something. It's completely minuscule, but that's what I'm going to do. And it honestly really changed everything. So that I, so I read like books that I find. And then, you know, I actually do still read, you know, the New York times, um, which I find very like, to me is like the biggest tell of how insane the world is right now is that I get flack from like right-wing people and left-wing people for reading the New York Times. (laughs) Like, it's like, you can't be centrist. Like, can I just be like, I know that I, I, to me, objective media, like the vetting that is required for a major newspaper to publish something. There are all these protocols. There are all these hoops they have to jump through in order to publish something. And if something's inaccurate, they have to correct it. Like, so much of what's just floating around, there's like zero accountability oh, and completely. right. So to me, it's like, I can recognize it. I feel capable of recognizing bias within an established publication, mm. like the times where I'm like, yeah. sure, that's an opinion piece. Do you know why? Because it says it's an opinion piece. <laughs> and right. when it is reporting on something, I know that they have all of these really rigorous standards that they can't just like freewheel, like making stuff up and just not ever being held accountable. So, but I do feel like it's a sign of the times that like, you know, on the left and the right, somehow everyone thinks that just the newspaper is just like the enemy. I, I don't understand. To me, I cling to the fact that they have some standards. Yeah. Um, I'm smiling so big right now. I can't believe that <laughs> you, I mean, I'm actually subscribed to the New York Times, but for a completely different reason. So I just, this this is so cool because I was kind of expecting you to be like, you know, I, I um, am only on 
TikTok for, you know, five minutes a day. By the way, I cannot handle TikTok. I can't handle reels. I can't, I can't consume any of that. Like I said, like media is so hard right now. It's so confusing. And like you said too, just kind of like sticking to your guns, you know, you reading or going to bookstores like that, um, that is still consuming. And I wish that we had more of that. Yeah. I can't, I just, I feel like I just can't figure out. I just feel like everyone's going insane. I don't, and I don't, and, and I just don't want to be one of them. I just want to be, I just want to try to find ways to think for myself and, and also stay in a sort of observer mode mm. in general Yes, with life, you know, like, and with myself, it's just like, you know, form representation of being a human being. Like we, I just can't believe how hung up we get on our identities and like our whole purpose is like to be like, my personality and my opinion, like, I don't know. I'm just trying to fucking breathe, write some songs, stay aware, but like, you know, it's hairy. I just read, um, yesterday that like we had, and I do obviously have opinions on stuff like the, I find it complete lunacy, this stuff that happened in Canada with this, like trucks that like took over the Capitol, um, this like sort of abstract like protest about your incredible good fortune to have access to vaccines and being able to have policies that protect people's health. Like it's to me, like really just complete lunacy and people are again, you know, the forces that stoke this like super extremist mm-hmm. thought are not, I don't think that they have our best intentions at, uh, at heart. But so I just read that, that they call themselves the freedom convoy and that they're like going they're saying they're coming to Ottawa for Canada Day, which is July 1st, and that they're staying until Labor Day. What? It's like, oh, what? What? Why? 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 And meanwhile, you know, like there are all these really cool, you know, the people who live in Ottawa, by the way, they handled it. There's actually this amazing thing, like talking about women being so cool. Like everyone's kind of trying to figure out what to do. And the government's obviously trying to support people's right to free speech and protest and assembly, which of course I completely agree with. I don't know if like parking like a semi in front of like an elderly couple's house and leaving your engine running for three weeks is, I don't know where that sits, but there is this, there is this amazing moment where these three, um, moms that just lived on the street just went and like stood in front of a truck in their, on their street. Um, I don't even know if it was just for the visual they you know just being like they can't go get their medication they can't sleep they, there's like the exhaust of the trucks and it's all just this like alleged you know um statement of freedom and that's that's an example to me of i just think people like are suffering people are the mental health crisis is real like how why are you parking your truck in front of like that grandma's house can you stop doing that <laughs> said so plainly can, yes can you stop it's it's please and like yeah yeah big big no um i want to learn more about that i honestly don't <laughs> big know no. about that but that i mean just don't i can't get started on a lot of that because it, i have i need to learn to not react it makes me very emotional because it's i know i know me too i've had the same thing i it's true Um, and you're right. Like, let's not go down that direction. And this is a prime example. Like, do you feel, you start to feel like the adrenaline starting to run through your veins and you're like, you know, you gotta like control those impulses and just like step back. But how, how we've kind of touched on this, but not really as an avid listener of metric, something I found as a common theme, I'd love to know your opinion is time, even just now or never, um, you know, all comes crashing. I'd love to know your thoughts on time. Is time um, an illusion? Is it a construct? Is it a concept? Is is it now or never? You know? Okay. So are you, um, do you know the writer Carlo Rovelli? I do not. Oh, this is exciting. I think you're going to love his stuff oh, just from our, just getting to know you a little bit. Like, so he's a physicist, um, but he is, his incredible gift is his ability to translate these absolutely astonishing and to me incomprehensible concepts of time um, and how the world works and the things that are uh, you know 
mis- misconceptions on our part. Um, he has a really beautiful way of writing. He's like a poet to me of like explaining it in words that you can kind of understand. It's like, if I read it 50 times, I feel like I got like 10% of it, that level of intellect, you know? Um, but so his, there's one of his books, uh, that is a favor, a favorite rather is, um, the order of time. Um, and he, he, yeah, I really think, yeah, judging from just like chatting with you, I think you would dig it. Um, it's, uh, it really, you know, we could do a whole separate conversation on this, but he helps to synthesize the history of, um, the physicists that have looked at like space time and, um, how, what their, their discoveries and how we actually do have, uh, to your, to answer your question. Yes. Time is a construct mm-hmm. past, present, and future is our way of making sense of the world more than the reality of the world, according to these physicists. Um, so I do have a fascination with time and I do, I think it does crop up in a lot of the writing. Um, but also, you know, the cool thing about music itself is such a, I just generally feel like music is such a trip. Like what the hell is it? Like yeah. why? And why do we care so Sounds much? Like they're so cool. You know, frequency it's like, little, yeah. It's like little hairs vibrating in people's ears and it causes them to like get together in groups of thousands or do, you know, like it, it really has this power over us. I'm fascinated by that. And, um, and songs themselves, their ability to kind of defy time, you know, three minutes of a song is different than three minutes of waiting for a bus in silence. And the, you know, the, as you know, from, from writing, like the craft that goes into making that ideally the most beautiful three minutes that you can changes the substance of that time. So, um, I feel like you should check out that book and then we should do another, we should do a follow-up. Cool. Part two. We'll totally do it. Would you say that politics influence your lyricism? And if so, um, how so? <laughs> well, I certainly, yes. And I, I would say though, that to me, the distinction between politics and life, it, it's like there, it's all politics. Um, and we just see extreme examples of like playground behavior, um, at the top, you know, echelons of power, but it's the same principles playing out of bullies, et cetera. Yes. Uh, and I do feel like throughout my, I mean, I, it's so weird when I say 20 years, cause I honestly, I've, I, I have to tell you this cause you're you know, a young woman. Don't worry about getting older. It's awesome. Like I feel so good, like better than ever. And I feel like I was always so afraid. Like when I would imagine being in my forties, it'd be like, Oh my God, like your life's over. And I, I mean, it's just beginning. It's cool. It's, or it's everything. I don't know. I can't explain it. I feel the same, but like, I understand what's going on or something. I don't know. Um, but so on that tip, like I always was addressing larger things in the writing, um, you know, in old world underground, the first song on our first album, IOU, um, you know, every 10 year old enemy soldier, thinks falling bombs are shooting stars, but she doesn't make wishes on them. You know, like the visual, the visual of war has always been in our writing, in my writing and within the band's music and um, our shows before uh, everyone had a phone in their hand and would film everything, you know, because we're lucky enough to have started before that. Our shows used to be these like sort of town hall throwdowns. Like we do these insanely long versions of Dead Disco and have these like, I would kind of do these rants about like the Iraq war or whatever else I thought was uncool and uh, people would respond and people would come up on stage and there was like a lot of, there was a lot going on. And then once I started noticing I was being filmed all the time, I was like, I don't think I should do this anymore because there's no context and it's just going to get bad. Um, But one positive thing right now, like I've noticed is that it seems like even the most superficial people are a little bit more tuned in. So explain interviews. Well, so like interviews, you know, and that sounds like a diss or something, but I, it really, it isn't meant to be. It's just understanding like different forms of media. Like, you know, you don't expect to have a, you know, this is a long form format where, you know, you and I speaking like this, I, I recognize the difference between this and someone who needs a soundbite um, for like a fun fashion thing or something. Right. 
But the thing I've noticed is that even in the fun fashion thing, there's a, there's a deeper awareness and of bigger, of bigger topics. And there's less of a sense of delineation, like where I feel like it would kind of like suck the air out of the room. If I mentioned something political in interviews before, it'd be like, oh boy, she's like taken a turn. Whereas now it seems more fluid where people are a bit more able to see that things are interconnected and mm. that it's ultimately a much more interesting conversation if you consider the context of the music and like what's happening in the world and not just fixate on like the celebrity side of someone and actually look at the bigger thing. So, yeah. Man, I relate so much um, having a platform and and sometimes just not really knowing when to post about politics um, because of wanting to also represent um, or or just be very um, abstract and fluid in my own thoughts without that outside perspective. And also, as soon as you kind of start to speak your voice in front of people, they definitely have something to say in return. And um, I think that becomes kind of confusing. But I do think that throughout at least my experiences so far, it's becoming um, more two-sided. I'm finding that people are wanting to listen um, more than I have experienced before. But yeah, I I feel like politics are just kind of tricky. And again, as a listener, I feel like, um, you know, even you kind of mentioning like the war on politics, um, I've, I've kind of felt like within your lyricism, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's also been this like hint of Hey guys, there's a war on women. <laughs> Let's also speak up for them. Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny the distinction and, and you know, you're obviously in a unique position in finding your footing as you say, but like my whole thing is it's like I I'm speaking for myself and I'm obviously I obviously represent some segment of society mm-hmm. for, in terms of gender. Uh okay, so a woman, half the population, right? Like but I'm not, I would never be so bold as to assume that I, I speak for anyone else. Um, wow. but by, you know, and that, and that's where, you know, it is 100%. like, as you say, like when you're weighing in on stuff, I, if I'm not, I'm not, I don't know, unsolicited advice, but like go for it. The thing that has, yeah. Well, the thing that has helped me and that I, I just maintain is that like, I'm not like offering like my opinion on this can't, you know, candidate, like again, politics as like a, you know, us politics or Canadian politics, or like, if we want to like start throwing around like Angela Merkel, like, you know, that's a whole other thing. I I actually love her. Sorry. I can't say her name without saying like love. Um, but, uh, (laughs) so bad example. Um, I already just defeated my own point, but like generally I just feel like it's about, it's about ways of thinking. It's about like talking about bigger ways of thinking, ways of observing and being aware of, of the forces in the world, as opposed to feeling like in order to discuss anything, you have to align yourself with something, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, obviously I'm speaking, I'm being as, as courageous as I can in terms of how I present myself, how I run my business, you know, the principles all the way down to like the kinds of recording uh, contracts that we will sign, which is basically none. Um, you know, again, that could be our fourth episode, but, uh, you know, that, that idea that you don't, you know, you can engage in, in bigger topics without having to fall into like the Pepsi Coke conundrum of like choosing sides, choosing names, political parties, all these things, you know, you I can, love this. Yes. Yeah. So that's that. Hopefully that's useful to you because that's that's my approach. I'm I'm all in, but I'm not going to get into like debating with someone about like Tom Cruise or something Mm -hmm. or what's his name? Ted. Sorry, Ted Cruz. I actually Tom Cruise, maybe. Yeah, I was like, maybe (laughs) you've seen the potential, the new movie. But, you know, yeah. Ted, Ted Cruz. Yeah. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I, I'm not doing that. That sounds like it's an instant headache, but I'll talk, I'll talk to someone who has holds different views. I'd love to, I'm interested. Like I'd love to hear, you know, man, that's amazing. And I'm, I'm the same way, even from the opposite side. I just, it's about understanding too. And, um, we're all human, but some people are very politically loud and, um, yeah. And that's the challenge is to realize that isn't the only way that's, that is one way and it is not my way. And it works for some people on, on all sides, but you're allowed to have your own frequency, you know, where you, 
participate, um, in the way that is genuine to you. And, you know, all, again, like allows you to function like back to the anxiety. Like, I don't know how people do like Twitter wars. I'm like, it gives me a stomach ache just thinking about it. Like there's no way I could weigh in on, in that world. I would, not gonna win. I, you'd never get, you'd never get another metric song ever <laughs> because I would just be destroyed. Emily, as a, as a woman of music, what advice do you have for those just getting started? Um, I guess it goes back to kind of the beginning of our conversation, which is, um, you know, try, if you can try to get a broader scope of how the whole thing works. Um, because, you know, for me and everyone's different, obviously, but for me, the traditional model of like, you know, demo your song, send them to a record label, hope someone likes them, hope that they sign you and have them develop you into a, you know, marketable product, um, is, was never going to work for me. Having said that, I think there are people who are so good, you know, in pop world, whatever, who are so good, maybe they're not writers, but they're incredibly talented, incredible singers, you know, charismatic. They don't have a mind for business and they want to do that. And I think it works. And I think it's like cool. And we get great culture and music out of that. Um, on the other side, for, if you're someone like me, where I just, it's like taking the butter, the powder off the butterfly wings or something that like, there's just no way I would have functioned in that environment. Uh Um, so I've been fortunate enough to have a partnership with Jimmy, you know, um, since the beginning where it's like, we were like, we're learning the whole time we're learning instead of looking for someone else to do it for you. And, and as a result, you know, own your music or own your time or own you, um, when you're, you know, intellectual property, it's longer, it's a slog, it's ridiculous. But if you take the approach of curiosity and wanting to learn, then you can have all of that in-house. And so for us, we now have our own studio that we own. Jimmy's, you know, started out wanting to produce. He had like a tiny little mixing board. Now he has like the most insane gear, you know, you could covet in the world. Same for me as, you know, I'm, I'm, really dedicated songwriter since I was a little kid, you know, starting out really rudimentary stuff, finding my voice, figuring out how to sing, how to pronounce things, how to like structure things. And then at the same time, understanding the sort of boilerplate of how the music industry works and, you know, finding people, finding allies that would build something outside of that system for us. Um, Right. And then, so, and just trying to get your head around, like, if you're, if you want it to be easy, it's kind of like, why not? Like you want to play the lottery, but it's the, the odds are very bad in that version for success. You know, we see the occasional, we see the superstars and you're like, Oh, cool. I'm just going to do that. It's like, you know, they also work, they work really fucking hard too, you know? Yeah. Um, but if you, if you have a sense that you want to like craft a life, um, just don't be, don't disregard the, this is, I'm trying to actually answer your question, the advice, don't disregard what seems to be kind of the mundane, you know, sort of ancillary stuff to the creative, because without control of that, or at least understanding of that and knowing what you're choosing, knowing what you're giving away, your creative will suffer anyway. So that's, I think what's allowed me to be um, productive all this time. And we, you know, we're so fired up. I feel like we're just getting started. So you absolutely are. And you really are the example of an independent artist and band that has, um, incredible ethos. I mean, I mean, I am not someone who I started, I started by wanting to manage. And then, like I said, working for um, a couple of independent labels, but at the end of the day, actually what I want to do is open up my own label. Um, I think being in control of your creativity and knowing that passion in you can fuel you to, to keep going and, and to keep that work ethic heavy, um, because you're willing to learn, like I said, to, to wear multiple hats because, because it's your passion. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Damn, I could talk to you all day, but I'm going to go ahead and end it here. And this is a question I ask every guest, um, but it is, what is your gold moment in life? And that means like a AKA pinch me. I'm so proud of myself. I can't believe I did this for myself moment. Well, you mentioned the Velvet Underground and <laughs> I, I just, it's hard to um, convey I feel because 
we're so data driven right now. This like, you know, you got a soccer mom who's like stressing over the data of like how her picture of her muffins did like on Facebook or whatever, you know, like everyone is just chasing that. And meanwhile, the, the moments and in particular, the one moment that I would describe, there's absolutely no data for this. It's just the best thing ever, which is getting to meet Lou Reed. Um, and you know, with first time we met, he quoted the lyrics of give me sympathy to me. Um, and you know, he's like, who would you rather be the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? And I said, the Velvet Underground, obviously. Ah, I was going to ask you that too. So that answer though, cheers. I mean, to the guy, it was like, is this happening? I mean, I I could leave it right there as a pinch me. Honestly, even if it had just been that exchange, that would have already been, you know, I grew up listening to Velvet Underground. My brother like raised me on this. He was like, stop listening to the radio, listen to this. Um, So, but then, you know, that developed into a friendship um, a collaborative friendship where I got to perform in Sydney with Lori, his wife, Lori Anderson and Lou, um, do multiple events put on by, um, his best friend, Hal Wilner. These just like, you know, the, the essence of why I got into this, um, to begin with, if you can even choose that when you're a little kid, but the pinnacle moment of it all was, you know, he sang Wanderlust on our synthetica and then we were playing radio city music hall in new york and i was asked him if he would play with us he said yes we did wanderlust into pale blue eyes as like a fucking medley i had why have i not seen this i'm embarrassed oh it's it's on youtube it's on youtube it's the best and then there's just it's just you know lou is flanked by me and jimmy and there's just the best hug ever at the end and you know, he was gone within, within a year of that. Um, we were supposed to do, we were both playing Coachella the same year, uh, after that. And he was, we were supposed to do a thing together. And then he wrote to me, he's like, I'm, I'm not well. So that moment, and honestly, if nothing ever comes close to it, that gold moment, um, you know, immeasurable, there's no, you know, (laughs) ranking, there's no data, there's no nothing. It's just the actual thing itself of why the pure gold of, of um, love and respect for another artist. So let's both, why don't we both cry? And uh, then I'm going to go do my next interview. I can't believe you just said that because I'm actually, I'm literally tearing up. Like, I can't believe, I, I mean, I, I, again, had watched some interviews and um, knew that you had, had worked with Lou, but him, him singing back to you. Oh my God. Wow. That's, that's unlike any gold moment I've had so far. Um, you win. <laughs> well, watch it on YouTube and then just have a, have a good cry. I'm going to have at it. I'm going to have at it. Okay. Emily, I can't believe this happened. Thank you from the bottom of my fucking heart for doing this and for taking the time out for Gold Hand Girls and um, for women in music because um, we're just getting started too. Thank you so much. Great conversation. Keep it up, eh? Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Have have a great day. Bye. Bye.